Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the History of Hippies podcast. I'm here with Drew, and I'm Ricky. We're going to be the co-hosts for you guys today with our episode discussing gender roles and politics in early America. And the theme of today is where we will be seeing gender inequality, lack of rights to certain groups, and we're going to learn a lot about the political climate of the early United States. So the first article that we would like to talk about is an article regarding how women would be treated uh, around the 18, uh, 1815, that, that type of area, that, that, uh, the year range. And we're going to be discussing an article where a lady was uh, abused in her, in her own home by her husband, and then her kids were also abused by their father. And it's an interesting uh, case because we get to see the woman actually be able to escape the, the abusive relationship, whereas a lot of times, a lot of times back in that time, the woman would not be able to get out of that situation. So I'm going to ask Sarah a question based off of this article. So why did Abigail seem to be reluctant despite her husband's abuse? Yeah, so women in early America suffered from a lack of rights or means of defending themselves against domestic abuse. From Abigail Bailey's perspective, it should be noted that many women with children and um, no source of income had no other choice but to stay in abusive relationships. This might explain Abigail's reluctance in escaping her violent situation because she was simply afraid of what economic consequences that would entail. A quote from the primary source listed in the American Yop reader, Abigail Bailey Escapes, on page 150, further highlights Abigail Bailey's courage in deciding to leave her husband. Quote, he asked me what I intended to do. I replied that one thing was settled. I would never live with him anymore. He soon appeared in great anguish and asked what I could do, what I could advise him to do. Such was his appearance that the pity of my heart was greatly moved, end quote. From this, we see how Abigail still had an emotional tie to her husband despite his abuse. This also could explain her reluctance because her whole life had been dependent on her husband like many other women in America. So this ties back into the themes of gender inequality and how women had a lack of rights to certain groups in the early United States. Thank you for that contribution, Sarah. That was a really... A uh, great way to look at the article, and, and, and I like the way you interpreted it. However, I want to see now what Kalani has to say on the article. Okay, so I would say, tie, um, tying back to what Sarah said, it's about gender inequality, and that's mainly due to the role men played in the image. A quote stated, If he would reform and never injure his family relative to interest, I could truly wish him well, mainly talking about how the how the idea of men should be, how they behave, how they should contribute to society. However, as seen as a pattern throughout many of these articles, the men image came from control and power and how much of that you had in wealth. Um, This is seen throughout, like I said once again, many articles, including Abigail's and John Adams' letters to each other, which shows the relationship dynamic and also how that's played out into their systems. But I will also go into detail about that later on in the podcast. So this is Drew speaking, and the original question going back to it was, why did Abigail seem to be reluctant? And part of my reasoning to think this is 
of the impact it would have on her family. Like, sure, her husband and all that, it was an issue, but it says in the article, quote, but if he should undertake any father to afflict our family or any of, of his dear children, end quote. Um, she's really reluctant because she doesn't know the impact it'll have on her children, and she doesn't want their lives to be ruined because of an abusive father figure in their life. So she wants to escape, but she also doesn't want to break away her family from that. So, Honor, what did you think on all of this? Um, I do think that economic consequences played a huge role in um, the reluctance, just because this was a time whenever women weren't really allowed to um, make a living for their families. But I also think that um, social consequences uh, were another factor of it. Uh, one of the quotes was uh, Abigail contemplating whether it'd be consistent with faithful, faithfulness to suffer him to flee. So uh, this was a, a time whenever divorce was relatively unheard of. So I do think that the social stigma that she would face uh, with this decision, even even no matter what uh, he did, I think that it would have been pretty bad for her. So do you think religion played a role in her decision? Um, this is Drew, and I think um, it absolutely did. Um, it said in the article, quote, Go through with the most interesting and undesirable business to which God and his providence he had called me and which I had undertaken. Um, I think in every decision that she made, this quote, showing it too, that she always had religion as part of her reasoning behind anything that she does. Um, it doesn't take much, and it, that says all it needs to right there. Do you think religion played a role in Abigail's decision in this? Yes, I think it, it played a role on both sides of uh, the decision. So on one end, uh, like Christianity emphasizes uh, marriage pretty hardly. So I think that that um, made her reluctant in leaving him. But on the other end, um, I think she saw what it was doing to her family and felt that need as well, uh, the morality to uh, protect her family. So I think that protecting her family came first. and. Um, I do think religion had a had a role in that decision. We're gonna bounce from that article onto this one that's Abigail and John Adams. So Alani, what did you think about when Abigail wrote to John, her husband, in the first place? Or why? It's Aliana, but you're good. The letter of John Adams from his wife Abigail is a notable, crucial historical document. It was a stable mark for John Adams to remember the ladies and ensure women's rights were embedded into the early stages of the American government. As the foundation for the Constitution and freedoms were being established for free men, so should women's rights. As Abigail urged in the document written in 1776 on pages 109 to 111 in the American Yacht, Quote, do not push such unlimited power into the hands of the husbands. Remember, all men would be tyrants if they could. End quote. This here sentence, let alone, scares readers to understand that men back then and to this day still hold more political reign over women in politics. This is seen throughout Dr. Fletcher's lectures when, when repeatedly over the history of time, people colonized over the minorities, such as the British over the Native Americans or the Spanish conquistadors invading the Aztec Empire. It's a concurrent issue that these leaders are men and they hold the reputation of male domination and superiority. All right, this is Lindsay. To tag off of what you said, Aliana, in the letter, something that stood out to me was the quote that Abigail stated, quote, I desire you would remember the ladies and be more generous and favorable to them and your 
or more favorable to them than your ancestors, end quote. This I felt Abigail was trying to make the woman heard and known. Right before this quote, it talked about how he was to declare a new code of laws. Abigail wants her husband to understand how she feels and stand up for her, or stand up for not just herself, but all the women also. So, how did John Adams respond to his wife, Abigail? Do you think it helped the women's suffrage movement too, Aliana? I wish I could say the letter back to Abigail was in conjunction with hers and with sincerity, but it was not at all. John Adams started his letter off strong with immense masculinity and humor. He welcomed his wife with the quote, as to your extraordinary code of laws, I cannot but laugh, end quote, on page 110 in the American Yacht. I thought this was outrageous and very belittling to his very own wife. I mean, the letter Abigail wrote was with absolutely no humor, but earnestness and honesty that women's rights were no joke. However, it did not end there, and he concluded his letter to her with, quote, This is rather too coarse a compliment, but you are so saucy, I won't blot it out. End quote. Also on page 110. It was very saddening to read this letter to Abigail because it seemed John portrayed the letter as trivial and insignificant, conveying his true values and morals for women's rights as well. So do you think Adam's letter to Abigail was contradicting Lindsay? Yes, I do. Aliana stated it perfectly how he just brushed off everything she said and just made jokes out of it. But in the end of the article, Adam stated the quote, we are obligated to go fair and softly, end quote, which kind of confused me. If they were obligated to go fair, why would he brush off everything Abigail had said and not give the women their rights they deserved and make it equal? From Abigail's perspective, I would have been livid at the response of her husband upset by the outcome of the conversation. I also agree with Lindsay. I'm Kalani. Um, using both examples of what Lindsay and Aliana said, personally, I read that it interpreted to me that the systems in place always say that they're fair and softly when actually hostile to the people it needs to help and give changes to. As his wife, I would agree that I would also be livid, but it also makes me curious. In the quote that Aliana spoke on, um, I wonder if they had any hope for change, if that was her initial attitude, or if the women were expecting a hypocritical attitude like Burr talked about later with Megan. Thank you for that, Aliana, Lindsay, and Kalani on Abigail and John Adams. Now we're going to go to Ricky's going to host the last article we have. And this is the article uh, from Burr, and we're going to be learning about Alexander Hamilton and his duel. So would you like to say anything about this, uh, Megan, to give us a little rundown? Of course. So essentially, we see the unfolding of events that leads to the duel between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, and eventually Hamilton's death. We start off with seeing the political climate of the time. There were rumors being spread about Thomas Jefferson leading to the decline of his time in office. Burr was running for governor of New York, and when Hamilton caught wind of this campaign, things took quite the turn. Burr knew right away of Hamilton's opposition. We can see this with the quote for Burr by Gore Vidal. Whether or not Hamilton was sincere in his desire to preserve the Union, I do not know. I do know that he was horrified in to find me, in effect, the standard bearer of his own party in New York State, end quote. Once accusations of how Jefferson really was came to light is when Burr and Hamilton started accusing each other of rumors. That was the last straw that, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. In other words, they took the next steps of duel, and spoiler alert, Hamilton dies. 
So, thank you, Megan. So, Sarah, do you think this work accurately portrays early American history and the founding fathers, and if so, how? That is a great question. I absolutely believe that Gore Vidal's piece offers insight into the lives of those discussed throughout the book, namely Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. What really struck out to me were the memoirs of the main character's recollection of the American Revolution. Aaron Burr is depicted as a passionate mentor who guides the main character, Charlie, through the politics of early America. A quote from Gore Vidal on page 14, chapter 2, says, quote, that was General Washington's office in 1776. He lived in this house for three months, during which he managed to lose New York City to the British. But despite his incompetence, the gods always supported him in the end. I suspect Cromwell was right. The man who does not know where he's going goes farthest. Talleyrand used to tell me that for the great man, all is accident. Obviously, he's not a great man since he survived by careful planning, by never showing his true feelings. You must learn that art, Charlie, end quote. I chose this quote because it really reflected the political strategies and the mentoring that was implemented throughout the 19th century um, during the early rise of America and the formation of government. This ties back into themes of American culture and politics, social relationships, and it's important to note how men, women weren't really mentioned in this book um, about politics. It was mainly men. So that can tie back into the gender inequalities and rules in politics in America. Thanks, Sarah. So what did you think, Megan? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Sarah. This expert definitely gives insight on who our founding fathers were. We got to see the political climate of their time and even the political and social conflicts they personally were a part of. Who would have ever thought that Jefferson was as unfair as he was when he was in the wrong? Or how Hamilton, in some ways, may have been the one to instigate the duel between him and Burr? Quote, Hamilton then complained of my predetermined hostility to him. Van Hess replied for me, pointing out that the phrase predetermined hostility was insult added to injury and that the evasive length of Hamilton's correspondence seemed very like guilt. End quote. This is behind the scenes we don't often learn about. So this is Ricky and Drew, and today we got to experience a very cool insight into understanding the gender roles that women were playing in early early society in, in, in America. And so what would you have to say about that, Drew? Um, I agree with you. It gave a really good insight on it, especially because, especially within the last hundred years or so, it's completely changed, and you don't see anything even close to that anymore. Um, seeing these three articles and the common theme of just women's inequality and their gender roles that were played, especially in government, um, showed us a lot today. Well, thank you guys for listening in. Uh, we've had a great time on our episode discussing gender roles in politics. This is the History Hippies podcast. I'm thank your, you guys. I'm your co-host, Drew. I'm Ricky. We'll see you all next week.